Through this week, we've been chewing over what Jesus meant when he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yesterday, we touched on just a couple of characteristics of the kingdom. If you remember, it's a kingdom of peace and it's a kingdom that crosses divides. And today, I want to very quickly look at a further three aspects of the kingdom so that when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we kind of know what it is we're praying for. First of all, then, it's a kingdom of abundance. The Old Testament prophets, they wrote of a time when an overflow of abundance would occur in God's kingdom. Amos, for example, wrote that the days are coming when the one who plows will overtake the one who reaps, when new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. Now, helps to understand that this was written in a semi-desert context. Farmers would reap and then they'd have to wait for a very long time for the rains to come again because it wasn't a very fertile ground. But Amos here uses imagery to kind of illustrate what the earth would be like if it were redeemed from the curse. In short, the one that plows and the one that reaps bump into each other because there is such an abundance. What's more, new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. Just to say... Could be wrong here, but I don't think this means there's literally going to be Chardonnay flowing down the Clent Hills. It's simply supposed to be another image of God's abundance. Now, Jesus, when he came along, he enlarged on this theme. He told numerous parables, didn't he? Built on the image of the kingdom as a great feast, whether it be a wedding feast, a worldwide feast attended by people from the east and the west, or a lavish banquet to which many are invited. Remember, Jesus on occasion responded to accusations of being a glutton and a drunkard because he insisted on attending parties and drinking wine. He responded by explaining it was a time for feasting because the kingdom of God was here. On other occasions, Jesus, remember, miraculously fed crowds of 4,000 and on another occasion 5,000 people with basketfuls of food left over. There was an instance when the disciples had been out fishing all night without catching anything. Jesus told them to put their nets down again with the result that they caught so many fish, their nets started breaking and their boats were so full of fish, they started sinking. Do you get the picture? There are no short measures in the kingdom of God. Jesus came that we might have life in abundance. When he offers us grace, mercy, peace, joy, love, it is always in abundance. Similarly, when Jesus looked at the multitudes who didn't believe, he commented that the harvest is plentiful and that the fields are white for harvest. There are an abundance of people just waiting to come into the kingdom of God. When Jesus spoke of heaven, it was again with a sense of abundance. We can be sure that abundant blessings await all of us who faithfully obey God in this life. These are the things we're praying for when we pray your kingdom come. Lord, let us see more of the abundance of your kingdom here on earth. In my life, let there be an abundance of joy. Let me know more of the abundance of life you have for me. And Lord, we pray for the harvest. You've said it's plentiful. Let us see 
the abundance. Along similar lines, the kingdom is also an expansive kingdom. Although the kingdom emerges from a small beginning, it is the most dynamic thing imaginable. Jesus describes it, doesn't he, as seed that's sown and yields a harvest, as a tiny mustard seed that grows fantastically into a gigantic tree, as a small amount of yeast that leavens a huge lump of dough, as a dragnet that captures an abundance of fish. It may start small, but ultimately, this is no small, feeble, pathetic, vulnerable, easily overlooked minority thing. No, this is a vibrant, growing, expanding, all-pervasive, forcefully advancing kingdom. People may scorn it. They may give it no chance of success. But against all the odds, God's kingdom will grow and spread throughout the world, bringing shade to the sick, the poor, the downtrodden, the imprisoned, the oppressed, and the unloved. And so, when you think of the kingdom of God and pray for its advance, think unstoppable, think growth, think big. And then, without wishing to state the blindingly obvious, the kingdom of God is also the kingdom where God dwells. It may be the most beautiful words of all about the kingdom. Revelation 21 says, And I heard a loud voice saying, Now the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Wouldn't you just love to live in a world like that? No more Kleenex, no more hospitals, no more cemeteries. There'll be counsellors, but you'll just go to them when you're so full of gratitude and joy that you're willing to freely pay someone else to simply get them to listen to how happy and contented you are right now. And every day you'll be home with God, never separated by sin. In Ezekiel, it says that God promises, I'll remove their hearts of stone and replace them with a heart of flesh. No more stony hearts, no more cold hearts, no more stubborn hearts. You'll never say something that you'll regret later. You'll never do anything to be ashamed of, never do anything to feel guilty about. When you see somebody else's success or beauty or wealth, it won't even occur to you to be envious, but only to rejoice as if you had these things yourself. What's more, Every tribe and tongue and people and nation will gather like brothers and sisters around the throne and you will see the living God. No more doubt, no more questions, no more why. It's like conversation with God will be so much easier because you'll finally see him. You'll see fully, you'll look into the face of God and he will be your God and we will be his people. And God himself will wipe every tear from your eye. Just think, have no more need for our tear ducts. God will simply point his finger and sadness and sorrow will be banished forever. Try and imagine it inexpressible joy so as i puts it the trees of the field will clap their hands and god will bring all his creation to its full redemptive potential and neither human beings nor the earth will be under the curse anymore no more weeding 
No more aching muscles. No more pain in childbirth. That is what it would look like if God's kingdom would have come to earth. Which I think goes some way to explaining why the Bible ends with the spirit and the bride crying out, Come, Lord Jesus. And that's to be our cry as we pray today. Come, Lord Jesus. Let your kingdom come in all its fullness. Won't you wrap up this world as we know it? Won't you hasten your return? Won't you sweep away every other kingdom that stands against you and make your dwelling here on earth? Now, if any of that in any way whets your appetite, if any of that fuels your longing, if any of that kind of sounds even remotely appealing to you, why not respond to Jesus' invitation right now and begin crying out to our Father in heaven, asking for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven.